0: Shit, shit, shit show. It's a fucking
1: shit show. Well, welcome shit back to Shit Show Saturday. We have a very special shit show. I don't even know how, how this came about, but we're going to call him Shit Show Salt, a.k.a. Shit Show Todd. Well <laughs> <laughs> Somehow we found out that in a past life, you actually were a stunt double for Salt and Salt and Pepper music videos, right? Well,
0: okay. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I wasn't a stunt double. I did work on, uh, I did work on Salt and Pepper Um a bio that came out a couple of years ago.
1: What did you uh, do on it? What were you do- helping with? I,
0: I was working. Okay. What I do is I'm large. I, I work in um, editing and television. Okay. television. Um, I've been at it for about 17, 18 years. Um, and I work largely as what's referred to as a first assistant picture editor. Okay. So I'm the, I'm the hub in the wheel in my department. So I, everything sort of, revolves around me so i'm the master organizer juggler cheerleader guy so i worked on that so i i uh, i got a call from a friend of mine who's an editor who was working on this picture and um and yeah so i worked on that for a few weeks it was pretty crazy
1: that's cool so what song do you want played when you walk into a room
0: i'm just gonna say off the top of my head i'm gonna say uh, mirror in the bathroom yeah, by the English bathroom. street
1: Uh, carbohydrate
0: ruffles plain potato chips
1: nice uh cheese
0: cheese i got i only get one again right
1: mm-hmm.
0: i'm gonna go with aged cheddar
1: nice choice in condiment
0: condiment okay so all right i'm gonna say ketchup but i'm an avoidant detacher yes. so and i prove your theory yes so ketchup only belongs for me ketchup and only rice. belongs for- Two things. Nope.
1: Okay, let's hear it. Uh,
0: fries occasionally. Um, although, you know, I could make the argument for garlic aioli as far as that goes. Um, but it's grilled cheese sandwiches and hot dogs. That's it. I like and it. The only thing that goes on them.
1: So how did you find out that you were an adult child? Um, you were born.
0: <laughs> I was born. Um, uh, well, I bet you, I probably, I think the more I, I look at it, the more I find out about my early childhood, the more yeah, I, I think. let not that... go there
1: yet. But what was the moment that you re- like, what was the first time you heard the term?
0: Actually, it was probably in uh early nineties. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, John Bradshaw. I was doing some therapy then and a book, his first book was recommended. That's where, I think that's, that's where I first heard the term. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I first really understood internally that I was an adult child. Probably it was when my marriage, when I walked out of my marriage about 2012.
1: And would you say that that was your adult child bottom? One of them?
0: One of them. Yeah. Because I, I pulled the thread. About a year after I left, I found out I had confirmed that I was ADHD. Mm. And I was coming apart at that point. The therapist I was seeing then was at first thought maybe I was bipolar, but then she, she said, no, nah, I don't think so. I think that you're probably, you probably have ADHD. And then it just kind of went from there. I mean, uh, she recommended Gabar Mate's book about, um, called uh, scarred Minds, mm-hmm. about ADHD and about his own, uh, what he, and what he discovered through his own work. And then I, you know, it just like, it just kept going. That was like about 10 years ago. Um, and then I figured out or, I found, yeah, I figured out that really ADHD just kind of is a symptom of trauma. Mm-hmm. And then I just started to dig deep into that. And about five years ago, five or six years ago, I figured out that my parents were both narcissists and again, me being me, let's like, when I figure something like that out, because I've God, done I've DIY my whole life. I just started digging in. I started doing, so the more I found out, the more I was like, Holy fuck, this is who I am. This is where I come from. What is this? What is this? How do I, I don't know. How do I situate myself in this? How do I find out like, you know, cause how do I find out who I really am?
1: Can you talk about what that uncovering process was with your parents, as far as realizing that they were narcissists, like was that something that was like a ha aha or kind of like a slow unveiling?
0: Well, I had pretty early on, I had gone through phases where I cut both of my parents off communication with both of them. And this mm-hmm. was back in, again, this was back in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't speak from my mom to my mother for like seven years, went to my father for 10.
1: Are they together?
0: Uh, They're both, they're they're both, uh, they both died now. That, but were they
1: married at that point?
0: No, no, okay. they split when i was they split when I was nineteen,
1: okay
0: that in and of itself like we were my brother and i my my I have a younger brother and whom I also am i don't know, strange I'm not, from I am mm-hmm. strange from as well, and that probably won't change, but we were both parentified i mean we're i was i was the old like i said I was the oldest um he's three years younger than me and so your question was.
1: The unful- realizing that they were narcissists, how that came to
0: mind. Well, I, I guess I realized they were narcissists about, like I said, about, oh, this is going probably going back about seven or eight years ago, somewhere in that range. And then really, yeah. So that was the, kind of the start of it. And again, I started digging into research and then a few years ago kind of reconnected with both of them for different reasons. And really started to internalize what it was, what the programming was and what it did to me. Mm-hmm. So initially it was fueled by wanting to know, but also being, it was fueled by anger. And then ultimately, as I started to internalize it and realize that I, just how deeply programmed I I am, I was and still am and probably, you know, working on that for the rest of my life, I started to understand that I had to start taking responsibility for mm-hmm. The behavior and mm-hmm. that's been that's where I kind of where I am right now
1: is it common for two narcissists to marry each other
0: no I don't think it is um and but if you're if you know what's coming and you're wearing a helmet it's not a bad thing to sort of stand back with a pair of binoculars and watch because really what they did in right in front of us was to destroy work on destroying each other everything was fine as long inside of that as long as the order was maintained right my mother was was really the driver of that my father uh, he was just he was not the crispiest chip in the bag and he was the henchman right I mean he was the one that mom called Todd's out of control we got to come home and take care of that and that's that was my life and uh, I can remember that happening as early as you know, being like three, four, five years old and Mm. being consigned to my room until the old man came home and hearing him come up the driveway um, and uh, whistling while he came through the door. It's like coming in to do a job and take care of business and and crush me, basically. Control me. It was all about control.
1: How do you think your brother's experience differed from yours?
0: What's interesting, I actually heard Mate mention something recently about the children living inside the in this inside the same family unit basically has different parents because mm-hmm. they have different experiences. Mm-hmm. Of them, I was the first one through the door. I was a scapegoat. I, that was my role, and my role was to be the emotional dumping ground mm-hmm. for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And now that I mean, I discovered how I was in a place where I really first started accepted and understood that my brother was a narcissist about three years ago. Mm -hmm. after my mother had died and he had been he was the one that took care of her will she was was, he was the executor Mm -hmm. and I just discovered that he was messing with the will Mm -hmm. but it's funny how the dominoes fall right when you start to acknowledge what happened I can trace back to you know again really early childhood with him being with him and realizing that he anything that I told him ended up coming back to bite me in the ass in some form right I tell him like I was keeping this this hockey book that I grabbed from the school library and I was going to keep it and you know a week later my father was rooting through around my room telling me what what is this blah 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 so my brother's means of surviving was to mm-hmm. use information keep the
1: Focus on you
0: yeah yeah make the, put the focus on me and also Yeah. Like information like that was his, was a currency for him. Like it was Mm. a way for him to seek Mm -hmm. favor, and sometimes be the golden
1: child. Mm. And so what was your experience like in school and like with friends and stuff? Um, It was really hard. I was, I knew I was on my own. Like I,
0: I think I mentioned this to you or mentioned in, in group meetings. Like I knew from the time that I was like two or three years old, that I was on my own. There was no help. There was nothing coming. As much as I craved it, and I really suffered. I was picked on a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really needy kid. I was screaming, like I mean, really, I was like, I was screaming out for help.
1: Mm.
0: You know, I, 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 I started. I was born in the '60s, and I, you know, I started school and in the late '60s, and I can remember like feeling isolated, alone. With no protection, and mm-hmm. so I was grasping for whatever I could find, and or even attention. Acting out, talking back, and the curse of the scapegoat, I suppose, is one of the curses of the scapegoat is being, you know, being the seer and mm-hmm. being, and also being intelligent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, in the the school systems, don't know still, still don't know how I to deal, well,
1: with especially it. back then. <laughs>
0: yeah, especially back then, you know, we we were the problem.
1: Did you have any like sort of escape?
0: Yes. I did. I think the reason that I'm alive today was because of my my maternal grandmother. She the light shone out of her ass. I loved her without any boundaries and and felt the same from her. And so my and it's interesting. So I go from a pretty early age, I can remember going and staying with her on for weekends right and she didn't have a lot of money but and we'd hop on the bus on saturday morning and go downtown you know and she'd take me to wherever like go to for lunch at woolworth's or or you know go hang out at eaton's or whatever right just kind of hang hang out for the whole weekend i found out many years later that she was again she saw stuff in me she saw that that light Mm. that nobody else nobody else acknowledged my parents Refused to acknowledge because they're both narcissists. They didn't care about me. They were, I was just supply for them, Mm -hmm. Uh, supply and, you know, something nice and shiny to push out to the world and say, look what I did.
1: How did you find that out?
0: I, well, I knew it, but I felt it. Yeah. Yeah. And also like many years later, like uh, when I reconnected with my mother, she started to tell me stories. Tell me stories about her, her childhood, about her experience of her mother, and, but also that they, sure, my mother was just taking credit for this in some form. But she used to tell me that they planned on keeping me away from my father as much as possible. And the, the way for them to do that was mm. for me to go and be just separate from the house and stay with my grandmother.
1: Mm. Man, so what were those conversations? Was this like towards her death?
0: Yeah, it was much later in her life. It was this was after again, sort of the mid twenty tens, right? Mm-hmm. When she like I I had left my marriage, I decided to reconnect with her, and um, it wasn't anything wonderful or grandiose in any way, other than
1: that. Were you able to have like other conversations? That like it's really interesting that she told you that. You know, like were was it? Were you expressing? Your feelings about like what you had experienced or how did those conversations come about?
0: It was more of a, she was looking back and wanting mm-hmm. to relate to me. I was again, like I was the touchy feely one, mm-hmm. right? I was the one who could talk about my emotions or talk about how I felt. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was the kind and gentle one. Mm-hmm. And so that created an opening for her to sort of, and as again, as she became more more old, and, and like anybody, they as people become older, they become more childlike. Mm-hmm. Um, and she started to relate how she felt. I mean, she was like she was also she had a very very complicated relationship with her mother, and also oh boy, so many stories. Like mm-hmm. even my, I often describe my grandmother as a pirate. Like she was she was a survivor. She was a thief. She was a she was she prostituted herself. She pushed all her you know all her kids out the door during the depression and said, you know, you're not going to school anymore. You're going to work for the family and Mm -hmm. like, just yeah, layers upon layers. Here's a story. She, my mother, related the story about being going to the the movies with her oldest brother, and she was. She said she was maybe five, six years old, and she remembers. Sitting, my brother was sitting on one side of her looking at the screen. She said there was another guy sitting on the other side of her and he started to molest her in the theater. And I questioned her about about this a couple of times. And I, this is just my own intuition, my theory that it was actually her brother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was never, obviously, that's never confirmed. But there's, again, like you're inside of something like that, you're listening, you're actually listening to somebody tell that story. And it doesn't make rational sense in some ways, but that I know enough about the family history to know who her brother was and he was not a nice human being.
1: Well, it sounds like you had a very different relationship with her mom than she did, you know, and it's so interesting. Like, I think about that, too. Like, I had the opportunity to get very close to my uh, my mom's mom before she passed and um it was really special you know but like i just wonder too like what the fuck was really going on because like my mom like you know my mom is on death's door and then her only other sibling my uncle he died at 55 from alcoholism you know and it's just i just like really wonder like what was actually fucking going on in that home you know like i was able to connect with my grandma in such a deep way and um it felt very genuine, and um, but I could just tell the level of resentment that my mom still held towards her, you know. And so I just wonder, like, what the fuck was actually going on? Were you able to find any compassion for your mom, like, from learning that stuff, or how did that impact you? And I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't. I'm just no, asking.
0: yeah, no, I, yeah, it's it it is it's really complicated. I the simple answer, honestly. Um, she, my mother, died from COVID at the end of 2020, mm-hmm. and um, I've said this to whoever I trust enough, and to say it is like the world's a better place without her Mm -hmm. in it and same with my father
1: the truth of the matter my dear shit shows is that there is a huge overlap in those of us who grew up in a dysfunctional family and those of us who are suffering from adhd i myself got diagnosed with adhd about a year ago and getting this diagnosis and treating this diagnosis has made such a difference in my productivity and getting shit done now let me tell you about Done. Done is an online ADHD care platform where you can get all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD take a free 1-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24/7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy copays as low as $0. Visit get.donefirst.com/podcast to learn more. Again, that is get.donefirst.com/podcast done turn adhd into your strength did you reconnect with him at all like what was that experience like um yeah
0: i did he was more he was more there's nothing complicated about my father he was just a he was a grandiose narcissist what did he funny. do for work he was a draftsman he did an apprenticeship right out of high school and got to work there, there's no never this work ethic was never in question oh. um it, it, but, oh, God, it's funny. I was out in Calgary, was working on that show I was telling you about. This is about 2008. And my brother called me up in a panic because his wife and one of his sons was in a swim meet in Calgary. And my father stated that he was going to drive out. He was living in British Columbia at that point. He was going to drive out to Calgary to see this. And my brother was, had this panic and called me and said you like you got to keep him away from my wife because she hates him and mm. doesn't want to be around him so like it like i actually took like a little bit of time away from work to hang with her but i took the opportunity to confront him while he was there on a number of different issues that i finally just was it's like Fuck it here it is i'm gonna I'm, i've had enough i'm gonna speak mm. my truth and basically he at one point he just when I was doing this um he looked at me and said wow I should have gotten you away from your mother sooner
1: Mm.
0: so like he was like there was no question in his mind that I was I was like I was you know I was a cast off I was the black sheep I was just the boat rocker shit disturber guy and that's and that was as simple as that I mean he and he walked away and I didn't speak to him for for 10 years
1: how did what happened with their divorce? Like what it led to them getting divorced? Who the hell knows? Exactly.
0: Um they it was like it was open warfare in, mm-hmm. in front of my brother and I um uh, mm-hmm. for several years. My mother really my mother really pegged him or like when she first met him, it's like she had other my mother was really like, my, my mother was beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. young, but she wanted to get out of, she wanted to get away from her mother, but she also wanted to get away from being poor. Mm-hmm. And so she's told this story in various different ways like okay i met him i didn't really like him Mm -hmm. but i knew he was a hard worker
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so he was gonna provide he was gonna provide and so it, you know like and it was old school kind of way way to to do it right like Mm -hmm. i mean he comes home hands over the the paycheck to the wife Mm -hmm. she you know, pays the bills, yeah, bills and all that stuff, and gives them twenty bucks and says, "There, there, you go. You, that's you got that till the next paycheck comes in."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and as the power struggle continued, my father started started to like, "I'm taking all this away from you. You're not doing this anymore. I'm doing it." My father mm-hmm. knew mm-hmm. about money, nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to manage it, and the more it went, the more she fought. They just fought each other, and to the point where my brother and I were witness to a lot of things. Um and because i was the oldest and because i was you know et etc cetera, et cetera, i was the ref i was mm-hmm. a, i was mm-hmm. the mediator so i learned my parentification lessons early on pretty well but they i just like finally they tried sort of i'm one of those people that never really saw any kind of love or physical connection mm-hmm. between like watching and mm-hmm. hold hands
1: mm-hmm.
0: At one point was like my brother and I remember my brother and I were gonna be talking what's going
1: on here.
0: You know, we never saw any of that. Mm-hmm. I saw him hit her once. I was witness to that. It was yeah, it was crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. So talk about just how how your ch- the impact of your childhood like in unfolded like in adulthood. Like what did what did that look like?
0: I can remember really first showing up when I finished grade six and went into middle school. Grade six was the first year I had a male teacher. He was one of those. So, what are guys, you like, twelve? Not even. Probably would have been like ten or eleven at that point.
1: Okay. okay.
0: And he turned the light on and like he he got me passionate about about language, about um, math, and he nominated me, me for enrichment going into grade seven. My parents' marriage was really starting to come just starting to come apart at that point, and I can remember going into grade seven and feeling. For the first time, like really feeling alone, unsupported for the first time in my life, and the enrichment thing just fell apart like I just went into regular the regular stream by the time I got to grade eight the, um, all of the the trouble and the you know being cast adrift really sort of kind of showed itself for the first time in a serious way. The only control my father really cared about for me was around was around sports okay. um, I was a pretty good hockey player. And again, my father just kind of took that road, road with right? Like it was like his kid and he'd never played hockey in his life. He didn't know mm-hmm. nothing about the game, but he sure was going to make sure that I made him look good. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I can remember being around that age or being like being around 11, 12, I had a, a really competitive level for the first time in my, in my life. And having a really hard time with it again because I, ne- I had no support, I had no guidance. It was just sort of like, put your skates on, get out there, and do it right, or you're fucked. Mm-hmm. And I can remember mm-hmm. getting in getting into the car after a game and, and him screaming at me in the car all the way home. When he didn't time. play well. And when I didn't play well, as far as he was concerned.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or because some parents made us mis- like some remark or you know, whatever. But when it came to my one, the coaching staff or coaches, whatever approached me, but as I did manifested itself in the with, with anger, like I, I had so much stuffed rage, the, young, the place that it came out was through sports mm-hmm. and coaches would come to my father and say, what the fuck is going on? And my father would just like shrug his shoulders and Turn around and walk away. And believe me, I'll hang out to dry.
1: So, how, how were you impacted in romantic relationships?
0: Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I, um, I was married for about 11 years, 11 to 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, well, I left the marriage. Uh, I found out that, oh, uh, there's a lot. Oh, God. I married my mother is the short answer. Okay. So I married, I married a malignant narcissist
1: mm-hmm.
0: who didn't, well, who was the youngest of four children. Um, father was an alcoholic. Mother was uh, an advanced enabler and control freak. And so, and then she, like, I realized I, she was, my ex-wife was having an affair with the guy who was renovating our house, helping renovate our house. Uh, So again, I sort of I started to look at, okay, what is what is my behavior got to do with this? What how and again, I started to my pattern is to I'm codependent, right? I'm a fixer. I'm a particular kind of enabler myself. And so Mm -hmm. I kept having a relationship the relationship I kept having was with women who were borderline personality disorder. That kind, that kind, that kind of.
1: like the Amber herds.
0: (laughs) like I just like I was stepping unconsciously, stepping into stuff that relationships I was familiar with.
1: Yeah. Um, Um,
0: um, you know, like I, I never, I realized that really what I was seeking more than anything else was safety. I just like, and I would do anything, and I did anything that I had to, to ensure that. I wouldn't be rejected. Mm. and So huge parts of myself that i just, I, I, I turned off and that's kind of where I am now. I, I, now I understand that. And I understand my, I'm in a good place. I understand my work for the rest of my life is around gathering, bringing back all those exiled parts of myself that I just stuffed down in order to be able to Make myself palatable in some ways, right? And make myself okay.
1: What would you say? Like, kind of, was the most mm, like recent aha? Or kind of, what is? Would you say that you're kind of in a new phase of your healing or in understanding yourself? Or because I mean, you've done a lot of fucking work on yourself already. I mean, yeah. I, I can
0: <laughs> way too much in some ways, but. Um, but, you know, it's like I'm obsessive about it, like I am about everything else. Why, why would it be about my own healing? Um, most recent aha uh-huh is really around, around that dance that I do, because, with not just like in all my relationships, and, and in every aspect of my life, where I stuff my own intelligence, my own feelings, my own thoughts down if I felt like they weren't going to get me what I really needed, needed, Mm -hmm. which was security, safety. um, Mm -hmm.
1: uh,
0: Yeah. Um, And uh, the most recent I was actually talking about uh, during a group last week, and that was around Someone I was no longer a friend who, yeah, the
1: friendship thing I was going to bring
0: used me to get what he wanted in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about I mean, I'm the boundary part is like I'm working on the boundary stuff around that. I mean, I really have like I've closed the door on people, and it's like I have to talk to myself constantly is like because you drift sometimes you think it's like oh maybe it could be different this time and you wish it because you want to be needed so badly but um i have to constantly i I am getting better at saying to yourself no door's closed
1: Mm -hmm.
0: there's Mm -hmm. a lot of self-talk involved with that i mean it's it's hard when you know i've had my own avatar i mean I, i i highly skilled at carrying Mm -hmm. around this shield
1: Mm
0: -hmm. here this is this is the real me and now I've now I'm in this place where it's like okay how do I go out there again into the world and say no I was that's not with humility that's not who I was that's why I was pretending to be this is who I really am and that is that is the biggest thing of all because it is I'm sure you've experience this yourself like it's scary as fuck to to really show who you are uh-huh. and, your core. Uh-huh. Um, and because you've been i've been appearing like i was normal all this time and i was like no there's a really there's a lot of a lot of exile parts wandering around out there in the wilderness that are asking to come home
1: uh-huh. What has been the most beneficial part of your healing or just, you know, whether it's modalities or any like, therapist or what, what have you found is something that's, you know, help has helped you to heal. It sounds like you do parts work.
0: Um, yeah. I'm sort of in a place now where I'm kind of, I'm working with uh, someone who's a somatic therapist right now. Uh-huh. Um, and, but she's more talk based than she is. Um, anything else you'd like to, intuition is really good um and her observations are really helpful but i felt for a while like i need more um and i th- you know i think that diving into parts work is, is or you know there's another uh version of that um Mate has created uh, he refers to it as compassionate inquiry
1: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and that you can actually it's a it's a much more it's a it's a means of being curious and compassionate towards towards yes, self
1: part. does he have in a the, book about that in particular
0: um the yeah he d- specifically yeah what's the name of it i've got it uh, hold on a second i've got it here.
1: okay yeah I'd love
0: to know. this one the myth of the normal, the
1: of normal. Mm-hmm,
0: okay. mm-hmm. um he talks about it a lot um he actually developed that modality with a uh path. A, um, um, yoga instructor that lives not too far from here oh wow yeah and i've also like dick schwartz was the one that really sort of created ifs Internal family mm-hmm. systems really it, it just it makes sense for me on a level that nothing else really has those two things those two types like those they're very similar but they're, they're actually mm-hmm. colleagues governor and dick schwartz about mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's where I think I need to go
1: next. What about a relationship with the higher power? Were you raised? Did you guys go to church when you were a kid? Or even that was complicated.
0: I mean, I, I, there was, there, I was uh, baptized Protestant, United Church, and I can remember going to Sunday school, and you know, so all four of us went to together on Sundays. You know, and I can remember having to dress up and you know wear the put on one of the clip on bow ties, hating them. And then something happened. It stopped abruptly. One of my parents got pissed off or my mother flirted with somebody at the church, something. I don't know what it was, but it just went and and that was it. My relationship, I'm not a God believer. I would say I'm probably closer to being Buddhist than I am anything else.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: For me, it's more about consciousness, about how we're all all just one long thread of existence. Mm -hmm. We are all connected and we're all little specks mm-hmm.
1: have you ever struggled with substances
0: part of my awakening actually a good chunk of waking up if you want to call it is when i started taking an adhd medication mm-hmm. which happened by chance but i tried something that well adhd medication just me, and just helps you connect to self i don't know if you have any experience with that or not but mm-hmm. i can remember waking up From a nap after I'd started taking this stuff and understanding for the first, really understanding for the first time that I was a scapegoat in my family. Mm -hmm. I was, I can't, I mean, so I kind of, it's a bit of a tangent, but I had, I had a meditation teacher for a while. Um, I've done a bunch of silent retreats. I got pretty good at it or so I thought I'd done some um, on my own, done some stuff with psychedelics. Mostly, mostly mushrooms.
1: Has it been helpful?
0: Oh yeah, it has. Um, I microdose. Uh, I've done some more chunky trips as well. Actually, I'm going to be talking to Anita, who's back and forth with her over the last few days. She she does a lot of stuff around plant plant medicine and does some. In terms of substance, I mean, I realized a few years ago that I had been using some alcohol, but also marijuana to self-medicate. I drink regularly, and. Mm -hmm. I've done it off and on. Never to the point where it got me in trouble, but it definitely has been a mitigating factor. Mm -hmm.
1: So give me three things that you like about yourself.
0: Three things I like about myself. I'm kind, I'm a good friend, I'm thoughtful, intelligent.
1: I agree. Okay, what's a hope or dream for the future?
0: More than anything else, that all the exiled parts of me Mm -hmm. know that they can come home.
1: Let's oh, be in What you holding on to, but just let it all go. What's making you small now, I'm